Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was selected by the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in the 69th round of the 1997 amateur draft, but he didn't sign with them. He began his professional career in 1998 when he signed with the New York Mets as an undrafted free agent. He was a three-time All-Star, twice won the Rolays Relief Man Award. He was also awarded the DHL Delivery Man of the Year Award and the Sporting News Reliever of the Year Award. He appeared in close to 600 major league games, racking up 168 saves, which puts him at 74th all-time in Major League history. It is a pleasure to welcome Heath Bell to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Heath. Hey, how you guys doing? We're doing great. You know, it's interesting. You attended high school at Tustin High School in Tustin, California, where you lettered in football, basketball, and baseball. What made you choose baseball over the two other sports to try and pursue a professional career? Um, I always loved baseball. You know, um, basketball was something fun to do and football was something fun to do, but baseball was kind of always my passion. That's kind of what I wanted to do when I um, was a kid. So that's kind of why. Yeah, it's also cool because you played for a team called the Orange County Brewers, and you actually played in an exhibition game against the Colorado Silver Sox women's team. You retired all six batters. You were 17 at the time, and it was a pretty you know, publicized game. What, what do you remember most about that event? Oh gosh! Uh, one uh, that team is pretty awesome, by the way. It, so here, this I got with the, it was a men's league. The Orange County Brewers is my sister is ten years older than I am, and one of her uh, friends' husband played in the league, and they were looking for pitchers and players. And, and my sister's like, "Hey, my uh, my brother plays," and he's like, "Yeah, but he's only 15. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll bring him out here." So I actually learned from some guys, a few guys. Played a couple years in the minors, or a lot of them played college ball. I kind of learned a lot of stuff from them in my high school days. And then we played the Silver Bullets. And what I remember about that game the most is the Orange County Brewers, we had about eight guys that were consistently there. I was like the eighth man, okay? So every other week, we played like two games a week, we would have one or two guys that would show up, random guys. When we played the Silver Bullets, we had 27 guys. <laughs> we almost had 30 guys. And our coach was like, we can't, we can't lose against girls. And he wanted everybody to play. And I was like one of their main guys. So he's like, okay, you're not going to pitch. We'll have this other guy pitch. It was actually Marcel Latchman's son. He was a manager of the Angels at the time. He started, went six innings. And the score was like 0-0. I think we ended up winning 2 nothing, But we didn't score until the 6th or 7th inning. And then they put me in. And it was just, it was like everybody was freaking out. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. We're going to lose against girls. Can't lose against girls. And the majority of us, there was like a core seven or eight of us were like, it's okay. It's just a game. It's just a game. But everybody else was like, we can't lose. We can't lose. We're like, who are all of you? Because, you know, like there's only been eight of us all season. We've been struggling to have a team. I remember we played the Silver Bullets. We went to the championship game of that little league that we had. And we didn't have enough guys for our championship series. <laughs> we pulled, like, a friend from the stands and just gave him – he wore jeans, and we threw – we had an extra shirt or something. And we ended up losing the first two out of three, you know. So we lost the championship of that league. 
And that literally was two weeks after the Super Bowl. So that's kind of what I remember from them. That's hysterical. We mentioned in the open that you drafted by the Devil Rays, and you choose not to sign with them, which is interesting because obviously it's a dream of every person to be drafted and make even it on to the, the 69th majors. round, it, no matter where. Even okay. if you're yeah. well, here, here's the thing: if you guys remember years ago, there was draft and follows. Yeah. You guys right. remember those? Yes. Yeah. The the Rays drafted me for a draft and follow. They weren't even allowing me to say yes, I would sign. Ah, okay. So it was not like I didn't I didn't have a choice to sign or not join. They said, "Hey, we drafted you, drafted follow to have your rights for a year." So okay, so can I do I have a chance to sign? They said, "No, we'll we'll wait until the end of the season." You know, there was kind of like funky rules where you had like ten months to sign the guy. You could wait until his next season and then sign it before the draft, and they got away with it a couple years later. But so, yeah, I didn't even have the opportunity to sign that year. The Phillies called me up and said, hey, we're thinking about drafting you in the 21st round for $1,000. Would you sign? And I said, well, personally, I was the first one in my family to go to college. And I said, you know, my, my father did. He was a Marine, great guy, um, didn't graduate high school because uh, he dropped out and went to the Marines back then. And after, you know, after that, got his GED and everything. But school is pretty important, and I was the fourth I was the baby of four kids, and my my brother's really smart. My two sisters are, but they got jobs out of high school that were paid, you know, like, you know, forty, fifty thousand a year. And back then, that was like awesome. So they chose not to go to school. And um, I was the first one of my. I told the Phillies guy, I said, "Look, you know, I I would love to sign. I really would, but I kind of want to get an associate's degree so I can say I have a degree because I'm the first one in my family to finish a year of school." And he, the scout, the Philly scout actually said he, that's a smart decision. And I said, well, you guys going to draft me anyway? Because I said I probably wouldn't sign for a thousand bucks. If it was maybe like ten thousand, I would. <laughs> and they said, well, I'm not sure if they're going to sign, you know, draft you or not. So, I, but I got to report back to them. So I reported. They reported back the next day. They didn't draft me, and then you know I got the draft and follow from the the Rays from the 69th round. So and the that's Rays- kind of my draft. The Rays' loss is the Mets' gain because you are signed by the Mets the following year. But 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 there's a story about how you got signed, right? It's not like oh yeah, dress. Yeah. I want you to tell the story, but but how you got signed, almost not not quite as an afterthought, but basically just to <laughs> fill out a roster. Oh yeah, I was pretty much that way. So the next year comes along. Um, I went to um, a couple workouts with the the Mets, Oakland, and um, the Rockies, and. Um, the draft comes. I'm thinking I'm going to get drafted. I've had two great years in, in college, in community college. Thinking, okay, here we go. I, you know, I had a chance to go to the 21st round. They didn't sign me. Then, you know, 69th draft follow. I actually called the Rays guy before, and he's like, no, we're not interested. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, then, uh, so the draft comes. The first day, no draft. And I'm like, okay, no worries. I'll second round. And every scout that talked to me that year, they said, what's it going to take to draft you? And I had a full ride to go to Cal State Fullerton at the time. And I said, um, I'm ready for the draft. Uh, I don't care about the money. Because I'm literally thinking, okay, I missed out on a 1000 bucks with the Phillies. Maybe, you know, opportunity knocks once. I lost my opportunity. And so I was re- so every scout that asked me, you know, the Mets guy, the Rockies, the o- Oakland, and whoever else, 
called me. I said, I'm ready to play pro ball. Money's not an issue. Just, you know, basically give me whatever you want, and I'll come play. Second day comes along, nothing. Third day comes along, nothing, and I'm kind of bummed out. And it was the year of the first round, first time that they went to 50 rounds in the draft. And I was kind of I was depressed. I was bummed out, getting ready to go to play ball in uh, the summer up in Alaska. And uh, my sister kind of bugged me and said, why don't you call the scout? Didn't want to do it. She kind of bugged me to do it. And I ended up doing it. Called the Mets guy, Bob Miner, good friend of mine still. And he just said, you know what? He basically gave me some BS line and going, we don't see a future in you. You know, but he didn't say it that direct. And he was like, you know what? If you really want to play pro ball, call the scouts you know, and you could probably sign as a non-drafted free agent. And I said, okay. Anyway, I had a good talk with him otherwise. Then about a couple weeks later or maybe a month later, um, I didn't call anybody else, by the way. I got a phone call. I was in Alaska from Bob Miner and said, hey, we didn't draft enough people. We only have like 14 guys in rookie ball in Kingsport, Tennessee. We need to sign people. Do you want to sign for 500 bucks? (laughs) And I basically said, yeah. I said, well, I said, look, I'm starting tonight. Can I give you a call tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. Uh, You want to talk to your parents and stuff? And I said, yeah. So what time do you wake up tomorrow? And he goes, 8 o'clock. I said, all right, I'll call you tomorrow. So I actually called him at 8 a.m. the next day. And he goes, dude, I'm still in bed. I didn't think you were going to call me at 8. Well, anyway, that day, um, by the end of the day, I was on an airplane flew all the way to Tennessee and um, signed my contract out there. And, you know, the rest is kind of a history. It's unbelievable. And, and so many people don't know what goes into Like, they all know that they watch ESPN, the draft, and they see the first-round draft picks, but they don't see how other players make it to the majors. If you just tuned in, we're speaking to Heath Bell. You make your way up the Mets' well, minor league me. system. Some of your minor league pitching coaches included former Indians pitcher Rick Waits, former Orioles pitcher Mickey Weston, former Red Sox pitcher Bob Stanley, who obviously has a place in Met history, um, former Mets pitching coach Dan Worthen. Was there one pitching coach during your minor league climb that had an influence on you that you felt was the most instrumental getting you to the majors? Um, you know, Rick Waits was a big part of it because he was, he was like maybe on the condition side. Like, you know, in the minor leagues you play um, five months plus spring training. In the big leagues, you play six months plus spring training. Um, and he was like, we were like, yeah, we want to get ready for six months. And he goes, no, you want to, be, you want to be, be able to pitch for eight months. And you're like, what are you talking about? He goes, we got a month of spring training. You got six for during the season. And then you got a month of playoffs. So that was kind of instrumental for me. That was kind of helped me out a lot. But then... Dan Worthen was probably the best one in AAA because when I had some issues, like I have a really short stride. If you guys remember, I, you know, I basically picked my, my leg up, I put it back down, and I threw the ball. And a lot of people didn't think I could pitch. I would blow out. I'd have, I, you know, I just have too short of a stride. And you're going to blow out. You can't pitch like that. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's my style. And he said, well, you know, who else has a really short stride? Is Randy Johnson. The only difference is, is he's like seven foot tall. He should have a seven foot stride, but he only has a five foot stride. But if you bring him down to where you are, you know, six three, and you know, three foot stride, it's basically the same thing. 
So he kind of gave me that confidence, especially when I was going to the big leagues. And Rick Peterson was up there and kind of ridiculing me for the way I pitched. I would come down, and Dan would be right there like, dude, don't worry. Just keep doing what you know how to do, this and that. And eventually, you know, everything kind of worked together. So I really think those two guys uh, were probably the best two pitching coaches I ever had in the minor leagues. But also, when I got to the big leagues, I would say, you know, Darren Balsley out in – in the Padres organization. But then, you know, honestly, one of my best pitching coaches ever, you guys would never expect, is Hojo. Wow. Really? And the reason wow. I say that is because in the minor leagues, I realized it was in A ball once. And I think he was double A coach or triple A coach at the time. But in A ball, I watched some coach work with our hitters and then i saw like you know early batting practice i was just out the clubhouse early during on the field and um i saw the hitters like work on something like pull the ball or the other way or something then during batting practice they were doing the same thing and then during the game they did the exact same thing so then i started watching hitters during batting practice the next few years of like where do they hit it during batting practice kind of tells me what type of hitter they are. They pull a hitter, slap hitter, they go the other way a lot. You know, they spray hitter. And then when I got to AAA, Hojo was there, I think it was, and I started talking to him. Hey, how would you tell hitters or how would you hit off me? And he started, He at first he had no idea what he was talking about or what I was talking about, and then he kind of understood what I was like. I was trying to get in the hitter's head. Okay, when the hitter sees me pitch, my style of pitching, how am I going to approach that pitcher? So then when I'm pitching, I know, like, say if you're up to bat and you're thinking, oh, off Heath Bell, man, I could pull the ball off this guy. So then as a pitcher, this guy's thinking, pull the ball, I'm going to pitch, you know, to go the other way. So I started learning to talk to hitting coaches to ask how the hitters would hit off me so then I would get in the minds of hitters. So when I pitched, I could know what they were trying to do off me, and besides, you know, just hit the ball far and hit a home run. Very cool. You know, like really kind of understand that as far is probably a deep question or a deep answer to the question or whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was it was one of those things. I never thought I was like the best pitcher ever. Um, I know I had some really good years out there, but I mean, you're talking to a guy that played little league since he was five years old, but didn't make the All Star team until he was in the major leagues in 2009. So. Incredible. You, know, that, you, 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 you talk in an article you wrote for the website Athletes for God about various, one particular temptation. You're struggling to make the major leagues. It's very important to you to basically have, have a line of work to support your family. And you're in Venezuela in a bullpen, and you're thinking about taking oh, yeah. steroids. Can you walk us through that whole scenario and what happened? Well, you know, I have, I've had many coaches, and you know, I went down to Venezuela to play in winter ball. You know, it was awesome down there playing i heard it's pretty crazy right now <laughs> or it has been the last couple of years but um so i went down there and, and we didn't have a closer i forget the manager's name but we didn't have a closer and i just went you know i can close i can get some saves so he said okay so anyway so let me put it this way so i ended up closing the first month i was leading the league in strikeouts from any from the whole league i literally i think my first eight games struck the side out like literally struck everybody out and i remember the one game i struck the first two guys out and then somebody hit a ball back to me i caught it through the first and my whole team was like 
concerned. What, what, what just happened here? Like, why, why did the guy hit the ball? Like, <laughs> and the thing is, I was only throwing, I think, probably low to mid nineties. It wasn't like, you know, just blowing the ball by everybody a hundred miles an hour. I just, because when I was younger, I never threw hard. I learned to pitch. So I had to hit my spots and up, down, left, right, make the ball move, whatnot. And then when my, my arms started getting stronger through the Mets organization and I started throwing from 86 to 88, started throwing, you know, mid nineties and occasionally upper nineties. Um, it was a little bit easier, but I still was trying to hit down and away. And I was consistent of hitting down and away or up and in or down and in that all of a sudden now it was just really hard or really fast. So I was in there dominating, doing great. And most of the guys in the bullpen, I remember Henry Blanco was our catcher and he was a great guy. Um, we talked a lot. Um, it was one of those things, the guys in the bullpen, I would, I know for a fact Six of them were doing something. You know, I actually saw them inject themselves or had the trainer do it, basically taking steroids. And it was just one of those things that, you know, there was a couple people before I left mentioned to me, like, hey, go down there, work, you know, work on this team, blah, blah, blah. You, you might be able to come back, throw really hard and get to the big leagues. And that's kind of how the, it was. It wasn't like, hey, go do this. It wouldn't say, go see Johnny. Do what Johnny tells you to do. But it was kind of like under your breath. You kind of knew what your people were saying. But it pretty much happened to everybody. So every, just about everybody in the bullpen was, you know, taking steroids and, and dominating. And they've all had a little bit of time in the big leagues. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, I'm not sniffing the big leagues at all. But, I mean, I'm doing everything they've asked me to do in the minor leagues. I I was in AAA. I got sent back down to AA because their closer got hurt. I didn't complain about it. I did really well. They called an outfielder up. You know, they. I was doing this. And, I mean, I think I found out year, a couple years later why. Uh, but I, I wasn't hitting the big leagues. I wasn't getting there like other guys, like other teammates were. Um, at the time, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe because I wasn't drafted. That was always one of the speculations of me. But um, so what happened is I told the trainer, I asked the American trainer, I said, hey, do you do, you know, kind of the confidential, you know, hey, do you do that stuff? And he goes, no, but the, the Latin trainer does. Go talk to him. So I went over to him, and he said he doesn't have any more stuff. When we get off this road trip, we'll do something. And I said, okay. I said, let's just do it one time. I don't want to do it any other time. And he's like, yeah, no problem. So we go on the road. I mean, the towns that we were in, I mean, there was probably no phone. This is really before cell phones. This is, you know, you're using calling cards. Uh, my kids probably don't even know what the calling cards are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're like, before cell phones, what did you do? It was like, pay phone, you know? You actually had to, there's phones everywhere. What? You know, you know, there's no computers, really. You had to email everything. Um, anyway, so we go on the road. As soon as I get home off the road, um, my wife called me, or there was a message on the hotel phone for me. Our daughter that had Down syndrome was having seizures come home. And then the next message was my dad just passed, not my father, but my wife's father just died all within the same day. And this was the day before I got 
back off the road. So say, let's just say this was a Friday. I got back on Saturday, got this message. You know, I got out of what um, I came to the ballpark and said, I need to go home. Um, it was actually Venezuela was occasionally having a couple strikes. You know, the whole country would go on strikes back then, but I understood why they were doing it, but it wasn't like they always went on strike when we, we played six days a week and there was always one day off that we had. Well, they always strike on the day that we didn't play baseball. It was kind of very interesting to me because maybe they loved baseball that much. They wouldn't strike on those days. But um, so the country went on strike, like, say, Sunday. I flew out Monday. Never got a chance. You know, I went to the ballpark and said, look, I need to go home, guys. Sorry, I packed up my stuff, blah, blah, blah. You know, didn't even talk to the trainer that time. And then it took me, gosh, I don't know, four more years to get to the big leagues. But I always, this is before the whole steroid testing and all that. And I always felt like, you know, the Lord was telling me and my daughter was telling me, hey, don't do that. You know, like, hey, Dad, don't do that. I'm going to have seizures. I'll be okay. Because she's a senior now in high school, and she's been on varsity for three straight years. And she actually makes the varsity team. It's not like they just put her on the varsity team. And... um She's an awesome kid, awesome daughter, and it's just one of those things that, you know, I just believe that my daughter and was like, nope, you're not doing this, come home. So for some odd reason, you know, I was told not to do it. So even when I had the opportunity a couple of years later, or and I, I kind of saw it, and I could have probably easily gone, hey, what is that? Let me, let me try to get some of that or something like that. Um, I've never even sniffed the stuff, you know. If I see it, I just look the other way, whatnot. And so, and I will actually say, I don't know if I've ever ever told this to people, but when I was in the minor leagues, a couple guys were doing it, and I drove home to California, so I would go through a couple states before I hit to California. Well, the guys that were doing it were flying home and didn't want to take their stuff. And um, oh, no. they, actually paid, they actually paid me to put it in my truck oh, boy. or my car oh, and drive it across, oh, no. and I would make some money. Oh, wow. Don't know so, if you want to announce that on radio. Well, it's well, across the line. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, I know. I it, it's Wardle. It, it's I one of those things. It, it, was, it wasn't like, it, it, you know, it wasn't like a huge thing. But back then, it was your biggest worry was, you're going to get man boobs, you're going to get horse steroids, you're going to get animal steroids. So it was like, it wasn't like it was a couple of years later where it, it, you know, like you see on TV, the whole um, Jose Canseco thing where, or um, how they're getting these chemists and they're getting like purifying every single thing out of it. It's kind of like the whole, you know, the CBD from marijuana and stuff like that that everybody does now or whatnot, that the healthy parts of things. Right where they can take the strands and take only specifically grab one or two strands and not get the bad stuff. And before it was just like, oh, yeah, we give this to horses. Hey, you want to try it? <laughs> right. This is backroom chemist back then. So yeah, yeah, you make it to the majors the clean way. August 24th, 2004, Shea Stadium, Mets versus Padres. Uh, bottom of the sixth inning, Mets are losing 3 nothing. Art Howe pinch hits for Chris Benson. What's growing through your head as you're now warming up in the bullpen, knowing you're about to make your major league debut, including everything that's come before that, every place you've been and, and that road, and you know you're going in. What's going through your head at that moment? Um, honestly, hit my spots 
And I told myself when I got there, I'll tell you two stories. Uh, I said, hit my spots. This is the exact same thing as AAA. Don't do anything different. Don't don't look at the stands. The, the field's the exact same. Just hit your spots. Go do what you do. Never look up. Never look up. So, and we all watched me pitch. When I ran in, I always had my head down. So it was nothing changed, right? Mm-hmm. So here's two really quick stories. Um, one, I was in the big leagues for three weeks, and something somebody said something, and Johnny Franco looked at me and goes, hey, you're not a rookie? I mean, he said, you're a rookie? And I go, yeah, this is the first time I've ever been in the big leagues. He goes, ah, uh, we, we thought you had some time before, like a year or two somewhere else. I said, no, this is the first time I've been in the big leagues ever. And that's the first time he goes, oh, and then Mike Stanton goes, Shouldn't have told us that. Now we're going to haze you. <laughs> so, he, and, and, and Johnny told me later on, he's like, you didn't act like a rookie. And I'm like, what does rookies act like? And then, so then here's another little story. Season's over. Um, my wife flew up the last game of the season. And um, we were walking to the Ramada that used to be over by Shea Stadium. Right. And Mike Gilbert, the clubby, uh, the bat boy, that's actually a really good friend of mine that's a lawyer now, um, was him, my wife, and I were carrying my bags over to the Ramada before we flew out the next day. And I just bust up laughing. And they're like, what, what, what's so funny? And I just went, I'm in the big leagues. I'm in the major leagues. And they both looked at me going, you're an idiot. You've been here for like almost three weeks, three months. <laughs> You're an idiot. And I was like, but I just never let myself realize that I was in the major leagues because I was just focused on doing what I needed to do. So anyway, it was, that's kind of the way I, I, I took it. I was like, baseball is the same thing. This is what I did in high school. It's what I did in college, what I did in big leagues. The only difference is the stadium around me. So if I don't look at the stadium, it's the same exact thing. So when I got older and I was a veteran and I told young guys, I'm like, don't look at the stands. Just go and play the game. If you keep your focus on the game, it's the same exact thing in AAA than it is here. The only difference is the stadium. So I think that helps some guys. And some guys, trust me, I know some guys are like, man, I just can't play when there's three decks. Because in AAA, you have two decks. And in the big leagues, you have more than two, you know, the stadiums. Right. And we call it, you know, the three-deck syndrome. He can't play in the three-deck syndrome. Yeah, there's some weird. Guys, yeah, some guys also that just can't pitch to lefties. Also, it's just a weird thing. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. So here's here's a little tidbit. I don't know if you guys knew about this. So I can't. I got to the big league. I faced. You guys remember know who the first guy I ever faced? First guy you ever faced, Padres in the big leagues. Wouldn't it have been Gwyn. Let's see. Uh, was it Adrian Pod- Gonzalez? It was David Wells. <laughs> struck oh. him out three straight pitches. Oh, that's right. That's right. Wow. But then I struck oh Brian Giles out the next the next batter. But he, Spe- so here's the thing. So I pitched <laughs> on. I want to. I want to say it was Monday, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm on Monday, and by the way, the, how I got called up was we were in um, I think Charlotte, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, maybe playing. Uh, the Olympics were on. I went to my room. My, the trainer finally got a hold of me and said, dude, what are you doing? I said, I took a nap. I was watching the Olympics. Come down. You're going to the big leagues. And I said, F you. Because <laughs> a lot of guys got called up that year. And I was, I'm like, I'm never getting called up. And uh, came down. I said, fine. They convinced me to come down the elevator. I came down the elevator, kind of looking around the corners, knowing my teammates are going to be busting up. Because we play tricks on each other. And 
usually you couldn't get me. And the coaches are there and just waving over, and I'm like, are the coaches in on it? <laughs> they sit down, they're like, congrats, you're going to the big leagues. And I'm like, you sure? So didn't believe it. So anyway, so I called my wife that lived in Florida at the time with my two kids, called my parents that were in California, but it was like midnight or something. It was some, you know, late on, on, you know, our time or, or I, it was, it was weird. So Monday I went and pitched. My family couldn't get a flight until that, you know, Monday. So they were going to get their money. They weren't going to be able to see the game. My first game, if I was going to pitch, I saw him after the game. We went out to dinner Tuesday comes along, going to the ballpark, get there after batting practice. Hey, Art Hout needs to see you. So, okay. So I go in the office. Hey kid, we're, we're sending you down. We just picked somebody off waivers. And they were like, we know your family's in town. So if you want to wait three or four days, you're more welcome to, you know, go out and hang out. We'll give you a hotel room. It's not a big deal. And I said, no, I said, you guys can give me a plane tomorrow and I'll meet up the team in AAA, you know, on Wednesday, I want to keep playing. You know, because I kind of felt like if I kept playing, it would show them that I really wanted to be here. So I couldn't go to the game on Tuesday. We went out Wednesday, and my 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 mom and my dad and my wife were going to spend all week in New York because we were there for the whole week. On Wednesday, I flew out in the morning, and uh, they were they just kind of saw the city or whatnot, decided to change their flight. They flew out um, uh, like Thursday morning, first thing. Wednesday, I meet up with the team. I go to the ballpark the next day, like Thursday morning. They said, hey, you're going back to the big leagues. My family was already on an airplane flying home. I got called back up. So basically, I missed um, missed a day or two. And then because uh, the guy they signed off waivers was hurt or something like that or went on the DL right away. And then I was in the big leagues the rest of the year. But in the, saying that story, my mom and dad never got to see me play in the big leagues my first year oh. in, in person. Oh, because, funny. you know, my dad was just a mechanic. He was an ex-Marine and mechanic. And my mom just worked, you know, little jobs here and there. So they didn't have much money. And it was just like, you know, and my dad was very big on, son, you make your own money. You spend it. You know, I always take care of mom and stuff like that. So I want you to, you know, you know, save what you make. You know, just don't blow it everywhere. So it's amazing. Kind of a little tidbit. Amazing. You know, your your career is more similar than you know all the superstars. You are the major leaguer that. People really don't know about it, and, and the media sometimes takes a lot of this stuff for granted. We have like two minutes before we have to let you go. Um, so two quickies. So looking back yeah. at your career, you played, at, and we didn't even get to your, your great three, right. four years with San Diego and the All-Star Games, but looking back at, at your career, you played for such a wide range of, of managerial styles. Art Howe, Willie Randolph, Bud Black, Ozzie Guillen, Kurt Gibson, Joe Madden. Obviously, managing a bullpen is such a huge part of the game today. Are there certain traits a manager must have in order to get the best out of his bullpen? And which of your managers understood that? Well, I think Bud Black did the best. I mean, Art Howe I only had for like one half a season. Right. So, I mean, that half season, I really enjoyed him. He was great. But what I've learned of every manager that I've had for the bullpen, if the, bullpen, if the manager believes in the bullpen guys and trusts them, they, on Monday, they blow it, but bring him back on Tuesday in the same situation after the game. Don't worry about it. 
you know, I'm, you're still my guy. If a manager does that and shows the pitcher that we got confidence, you can't be perfect all season long. Even the guys that are the best out there can't be perfect all season. You're going to make a mistake or two. To say, it's okay, you're human. Go out there and do it. When I got traded, Bud Black called me and said, hey, you played in 35 games with the Mets last year. You know five, you only gave up runs. You could double that all year and play my bullpen all day. And I went, so I can give up runs 10 times and – as long as 60 of them is not. And he goes, oh, yeah, you probably have a great season. <laughs> right there, there's that confidence, like, you don't have to be perfect. You can mess up once or, you know, a few times here and there, and you're still my guy. But when managers go with just the hot hand, then everybody tries to be hot. And when you have a bad day, for whatever reason, an infielder makes an error or the ball doesn't bounce your way or whatever, the umpire call, or, you know, here and there, then it's almost like, okay, well, are they going to take me out of this role? Or are they not going to take me out of this role? Then you start second-guessing yourself because the manager second-guessing yourself. So if you have a manager that really believes and talks to their guys and you trust them, and in baseball there's so many times that people go, you're my guy, and then you somebody else, and you're like, well, I thought I was your guy. Well, I was just trying to give him a chance. It's like, dude, just be honest with people. If you're honest with guys, I guarantee they'll play way better for you. And, you know, and the media plays into that because Mickey Calway, Diaz is his guy, but you have a couple bad outings and the media is all over him. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to watch you at Met Fantasy Camp, and, and AJ did too. And, you know, I, I, luckily, we, my son and I, got to face Nelson Figueroa as opposed to you. Because, <laughs> because I'm telling you, I, I actually had to go back to the locker room and change my pants when I saw you on the mat. I said, no, 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 I'm not getting up against Heath Bell. Um, Met Fantasy Camp guys loved you. You seem to really enjoy embrace wearing that Met jersey, even though you spent so little time as a Met and, and your, you know, your success, a huge bulk of your success in your career was a Padre. Finally, what about the Mets did you really truly enjoy and still enjoy about being a Met? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, just all the great Mets, you know, like, you know, I, Mets gave me an opportunity to live out my dream, you know, just by drafting or non-drafted free agent gave me a chance, you know, uh, meeting Johnny Franco in a ball going, you know, every one of you guys want to take my job and effing, I'm not going to let you guys take my job. And, you know, if we have time, I'll tell you that whole story. Cause it's kind of a big story of his speech that told us that kind of inspired me. And then, you know, Mike Piazza being there and just, you know, Ray Ordonez and just going off and then Shea Stadium was so cool and so loud. I mean, some people said it was dirty, this and that, but then I got an opportunity when City Field opened up the first game ever. I got the save and I still have the ball um, because they were playing the Padres. Um, there's just so many things like my first game ever was against the Padres. My first right. save ever was against the Mets. Yeah. My first save opportunity was in Shea Stadium. It was a Padre. Trevor Hoffman blew the save, and then then we scored a run. And I had to face, you know, Jose Reyes and David Wright, my two ex-roommates from AAA. And just, you know, there's so much going on, and them going to the World Series in 2000. And just, you know, it was so – I was so – I was so disappointed in myself that I didn't have the opportunity to really show what I could do as a New York man. I always wanted to try to – be a Met after my Padre career, and I tried, but it just things didn't work out. But it, I mean, everybody goes, Yeah, you're a San Diego Padre, you know, because those are my years. But every time I went to New York, Shea Stadium, City Field, and trust me, I got booed, but then they, you know, they boo you because they wanted you to do well in New York, nowhere else. I literally, I felt 
that was the only time it kind of ever affected me because I wanted to do it for the Mets. I wanted to be a Met my whole career. That's all I ever, when I started playing pro ball in the minors, all I ever wanted to do and it's all I ever dreamed about and fantasized about was just doing things for the Mets and doing it for New York. I mean, there's no other city like New York. San Diego's great. It's the weather. But, I mean, New York is New York. And I think everybody in New York loves the Mets. The Yankees win, but they just want a winner. So that's kind of why people always go towards the Yankees. But the Mets are just, I mean, gosh, Mo Vaughn was there. I was wearing an orange jersey with him, and we, we looked at each other and we were like, man, we're a bunch of pumpkins. <laughs> so, you know, John Olleru was there. It was just one of those things that every I still to this day consider myself, I wish I did better as a Met so I people would know me as a Met and a Padre because really my heart bleeds Mets. But it's kind of on the outside. Everybody knows me as the Padres. And I love the Padres in my hometown team because I live here in San Diego with my kids. But the Mets are kind of like that team that, man, if, if I could root for anybody else. But people always go, why'd you root for them? They always boo you and they always did this. I was like, dude, they gave me that chance. You know, I played with Pedro Martinez and uh, Tom Glavin over there and, you know, Mike Piazza and all these Hall of Famers. I think Johnny Franco should be a Hall of Famer. Billy Wagner, great closer. To be a Hall of Famer. You know, it's just all these guys that's like, man, you know, Hojo and, you know, Al Leiter, just going on and on, um, Tom Seaver. And it's just, there's so much history there, and I wanted to be a part of it so bad. And I think I'm a part of it in, in kind of a weird way of like, we, you know, the Heath Bell Express, you know, if a minor league guy goes up and down, they still talk about that. Because <laughs> I, I went up and down a lot. But um, I just, when I went to fantasy camp last year, man, it was so much fun. It was almost like I was home. You know, I was a little weary, like, is anybody going to remember me as a Met or is anybody going to like me because I didn't do my best years there? And uh, everybody just embraced me, and it's just a big family. And even the the fans, you guys, were it just – it was like, oh, yeah, Heath, it was this and that. And, yep. you know, I remember this and that. And or how, how was San Diego, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great. Man, you guys do like me. <laughs> so it was just – and I just love the game. I love playing. You know, and honestly, when I was throwing hard, I, I think I'm the reason Nelson Figueroa threw hard is because everybody told me, he throw hard, throw hard. I'm like, I, I, I was just going to go up there and flip some stuff up and throw big curveballs. No, throw hard, throw hard, throw hard. Okay. But all the, got, all the campers wanted me to throw hard, so I did. Yes, you so, did. <laughs> but uh, it was just, you know, it was kind of fun. It was fun. I'm actually looking forward to next year. My wife actually wants to come it was great stuff. and check it out. Heath, we will definitely have you on again because we, we'd even touch on the San Diego Padres years and I want to talk about the, the current state of baseball with you as well because I, I just love your take. We appreciate it so much. Before we let you go, I know you're involved in cold brew. Where can people find out a little more about that as well as what you're doing these days? Uh, well, me and a couple of friends that played the NFL started a cold brew coffee company. It's called Seven, the number seven, cold brew. Um, it was actually the year I got traded to San Diego. We started out here in San Diego. The, my friend is Corey Winthrow to play with the Chargers. Um, we just started, you know, did a cold brew coffee company. We're doing cans. We're basically on the West Coast right now. But um, before you know it, we'll be on the East Coast, I think, probably within the next year. Um, we're starting to get really traction from everybody. So um, I'll definitely bring some out to fantasy camp for everybody. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun. You know how you always joke with guys, and it's like, dude, this isn't my first rodeo. You know, leave me alone or whatnot when you do things. Right. I always go, hey, this is my first rodeo with the beverage industry, all right? So I'm learning. 
you know. The last thing I think uh, you need is caffeine, but we right. will see how that works. <laughs> All right, Heath, thanks so much for coming on tonight. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. Our pleasure. Heath Thank Bell.